Um, I felt a little bit prompted to do something a bit odd. That's unusual for me, isn't it? Um, would you like to stand, please? Now, feel free not to do this. Um, if you want to sit down, you can sit down. But um, Anybody cold at the moment? Yes, right. This is designed to be both prophetic and to warm you up. Okay, so can you go like this? You can keep running. <sighs> Say after me, I am a forerunner. I am a forerunner. I am a forerunner. I am a great forerunner. Nothing is impossible for me. Because I am a forerunner. Amen. You may sit down. So we are forerunners, aren't we? That was a word that Pete got about seven times, was it? Eight times. And uh, just like the word upgrade that he was mentioning last week, um, you know, the forerunner thing has, uh, you know, been a very powerful thing in, in our experience. And we are forerunning all sorts of things. I jokingly said to Pete once, the problem with forerunning is you've got to do running. Okay? And, uh, but we're getting better at running, aren't we? Running in our spiritual life, running as a church, and running into all sorts of things which we thought we'd never do, uh, whether that's a healing center, or having a shop in the town, or exploring the whole concept of free schools. We just don't know how big this work of God is, do we? Okay? I hope that in five years' time, we'll still be pinching ourselves saying, I didn't know it was as big as this. Right? One of the refrains in the elders' room is, it just got bigger. Right? We've been doing that for a number of years now, haven't we? It just got bigger. Right? Somebody was in our office this week, and we just said, thought afterwards, it just got bigger. What is it God's called us to do? And uh, I'm so encouraged by David's word this morning about, you know, God can do more than we ever think or imagine. And it's not just restricted to the church, is it? It's just not restricted to the church. You know, church is too small a vision. <laughs> church is too small a vision. Or what we mean, at least what we mean by church. But church is too small a vision. The church is not what we, is not our first priority. Oh, gosh. The church is not our first priority. Is that right? That almost sounds like heresy, doesn't it? <laughs> That's not the same as saying it doesn't matter. Right? But the church is not our first priority. Our first priority is the kingdom of God. Right? Yes, in one sense, God is, I think I heard somebody over here say, God is our, is our first, but yes, he is. But he says to us, Jesus says to us, seek first the kingdom of God. But we are so church-orientated, we constantly forget that. Your mind and my mind get so church-shaped that we it's easy to forget that we're here seeking first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is huge, isn't it, in its implications. It is the thing. It's not just a bit of smart theology. You know, if you go through a theology book and find a chapter on the kingdom, you think, oh, right. No, it's everything. It is everything. It will become everything, as we'll discover this morning. 
But in order to find out this great truth, we need to go back 2,600 years to the time of Daniel. All right? You're going to do that with me? So if you find in your Bibles, your Kindles, or your electronic device, the book of Daniel. Imagine I said to you, right, I had a dream last night. And I want you not only to give me the interpretation, but also tell me, first of all, what the dream was. And if you don't do that, I'm going to kill you. Many of you would, uh, who have never prophesied before might actually come up with something. <laughs> you regulars who've never inter- who prophesy a lot and never interpret a dream, you'd probably come up with something. Actually, King Nebuchadnezzar did exactly that with all the wise men in Daniel's time. He said, I had a dream last night. And if you don't tell me what it is, and if you don't tell me what the dream is and what the interpretation is, you're all going to die. Okay? But we're back in the back. Of, we're back in the back. We're back in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Let's just get the context for the moment. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, Babylon at this time in the 7th century BC, is the power. Right? It's the power. It's, the, it's the, you know, the most powerful nation, empire at that time. So they have just arrived at Jerusalem, besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put it in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenazim, Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites. Notice this, from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude uh, for every kind of learning. And if you look down to verse 6, among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or better known as Meshach, Shagrach, and Abednego. Okay, they're the same people. Um, turn over the page or flip the switch or whatever you need to do. Verse 17, these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And if you look at verse 20, in every matter of wisdom and understanding, I love this, about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. They were ten times better, ten times more wise, because they had God giving them wisdom. Would you like to be ten times wiser than you are? Let's just pray that over you now. Okay? We all need wisdom, don't we? Father, I just pray you'd release wisdom over us now, that we would have ten times what we've got at the moment. Jesus, uh, in James it says, you know, if we lack wisdom, ask and we will receive it. Right? It's, it's, wisdom is amazing. Isn't it? Wisdom is a tremendous gift. Wisdom is so overlooked, probably in charismatic circles. We put, tend to emphasize other things. But wisdom, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, whatever those things actually are. <laughs> but you can have wisdom whenever you need it. And Daniel had that. And, and, and one day your life will depend on it. <laughs> As Daniel discovered, didn't he? But let's look at chapter 2. 
In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they stood, uh, came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. They're not, they're not stupid, are they? The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I'm certain that you are trying to gain time before you you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is just one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell them, tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation would change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. I like that. (laughs) Shame about them. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. This is when you need the ten times wisdom, isn't it? Your life is on the line. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. This Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you and and have made known to us the dream of the king. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, Do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret this dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king and at, once, uh, at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. 
your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed that you what was going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Now, um, Trish, can we have that third slide up? There we go. Okay. Don't worry if you can't read the words. That's just one interpretation. Oh, in fact, the picture is one interpretation of this dream. I thought I'd give you a visual picture of it. So here's the dream. You looked, O king, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron and clay and the bronze, the silver and the gold were broken to pieces at the same time and became like chaff in a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret to the king. You, O king, are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory in your hands, and has placed mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will rise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that, that the feet and toes were partly baked of clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it. Even as you saw iron mixed with clay, as the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, the gold, and the, pe- uh, and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar felt prostrate before, this is the emperor. He falls prostrate before Daniel. And paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
That's Hananiah, Azariah, you know, the Mishael, like, and the same, the same guys. Over the provinces of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. It's been a long time since we've read out 49 verses in a row, isn't it? Are you ready to climb every mountain? The mountain on which you exist is the mountain that Daniel is talking about. Now, on that, on that, um, on the picture of that statue, you had various interpretations of what the kingdoms were about. And most people think that actually all the succeeding kingdoms that came immediately after that, that's the Persian kingdom, the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, then the Roman kingdom, probably is, and those are, you know, the historical kingdoms that followed, are the four kingdoms that, uh, you know, the different parts of the statue represent. But actually you can take it too as just a general prophecy about human kingdoms. And actually the reality is that the king of kings whose kingdom lasts forever is the kingdom of God. Right? There's a small rock that appears and breaks the statue and then becomes a mountain. And the mountain throughout scripture, let's look at Isaiah chapter 2. The mountain throughout scripture, or certainly in the prophets, is the kingdom of God. So Isaiah talks about that mountain if you look in chapter 2. The same words are repeated in Micah chapter 4, but we won't stop and look at those. So in the mountain of the Lord, this is chapter 2, Isaiah. This is what Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord." to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that they may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word from the Lord of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Now go back to Daniel. The whole theme of the kingdom of God keeps coming up in, in Daniel and you'll find it in chapter 7 where corresponding almost to the four kingdoms there are four beasts we haven't got time to look at the beasts and there are all sorts of weird and wonderful interpretations about it but what what i want to bring out in chapter 7 is this if you look in verse 13 this is daniel in another vision he says in my vision at night i looked and there before me was one like a son of man this is daniel prophesying the coming of jesus coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days that's the father and was led into his presence He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All people's nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. There's the mountain. There's the kingdom. If you turn over, you'll find in verse 18, this amazing thing. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom. And will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. I'll end down to verse 21. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. I'll end verse 27. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole earth will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High, 
His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. Who is the kingdom handed over to? You. Which kingdom lasts forever and is like a mountain that outgrows all the other mountains? Your kingdom. Your kingdom, my, my kingdom. Now, one of the reasons why we haven't grasped this is that a lot of these prophecies have been pushed into the future. Even if you didn't realize it, that has been preached to you. So at its most refined form, it's called dispensationalism. And we haven't got time to explore that weird and wonderful theology. <laughs> but basically the idea was, well, Jesus is coming back, so we just need to hang on, we're saved, we're going to heaven, but actually we're not here to, you know, conquer other kingdoms, we're not here to invade other kingdoms, because that will happen when Jesus comes back. Hallelujah. And it will happen when Jesus comes back in its fullness. But in the meantime... We possess the kingdom of God. So when Jesus came, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. You are the saints. Just say to me, I'm a saint. I'm Saint David. Well, whatever your name is. You are a saint. You are a king. Say to me, I am a king or a queen. I was made to rule and to reign in the kingdom that God has given me. In the kingdom of God that the saints possess. That a pagan king, you don't need to repeat this, uh, that a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, 2,600 years ago, had a dream about and told Daniel and the wise men he was going to execute them unless he could tell them both the dream and the interpretation. 2,600 years ago that was prophesied. Isn't it? I had a Daniel moment yesterday. <laughs> Guy came into the shop. We've got all these table table of uh, pictures, uh, Mark Henley's, these lovely you know, pictures that just kind of, you know, very good pictures. And uh, this guy came in, he's an old friend of mine, uh, which was quite hard actually, but eventually we got around to have a look at the table. And the idea with this table is that we, somebody chooses a picture and then you prophesy over them. So I said, Gra uh, Graham, it's my friend Graham, Graham, would you like to choose a picture? He says, okay. I said, have you chosen one? He said, yeah. I'm not going to tell you which one it is. So I said, all right, I'm not playing then. You know, so. <laughs> so I'm looking down at the picture saying, well, Holy Spirit, just tell me which one he's chosen. Because <laughs> that's going to blow his mind, isn't it? There's about 50 on there. Yeah, something like that. 50 pictures. And they're all lovely. I think. I pointed to one. I said, and it was a guy surfing on a, on a wave. And I said, that, 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 you know, we just had a conversation about education, you know, and he's still in education. And I kind of described that, but it w wasn't that one. So I pointed to a lion. And he said, that's the right one. And then both Marion and myself prophesied over him out of that picture that he was one called to fight injustice, just like, you know, a sense of being a, a lion. Now, he's not a one to show emotion, but he was moved. <laughs> you see, if God has given you ten times, you know, if he gave, if what, well, you know, if he's given you ten times the wisdom, if you really believe that, did you really believe that? <laughs> Actually, God's given you more wisdom than ten times of what you've got now. Because all wisdom is yours, 
Jesus is yours. Jesus is our wisdom, 1 Corinthians tells us, isn't it? So whatever wisdom you need can be released to you. If you lack wisdom, ask for it. We have no idea how much wisdom is available to us. Wisdom was there at the creation of the world. Proverbs 8 tells us, isn't it? Now, Pete was talking last week, you know, about the creativity of wisdom. Who knows? If you've ever, you know, the problem with one of the one of the problems, <laughs> we have a great education system in this country. It's amazing, but it does have its problems. And one of the problems is that it can limit people. We either get labelled or we label ourselves. I have only got to this level of wisdom. It's funny how we we stop at sixteen or eighteen, isn't it? And kind of think, well, I've only got that. You'll hear people in their 50s. We hear students on our school saying, I only did O-levels or GCSEs or CSEs. Or maybe I didn't get any paper of qualifications. There is no ceiling on God's wisdom in your life. There is no ceiling. Why? Because that's what David was saying this morning. You are seated in heavenly plate. Well, you know, David was reading out from scripture but David was saying you are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus who has all the wisdom in the world it's almost like you don't have to reach out for it you're there now you can receive it you know, our job here is bringing heaven to earth isn't it we're in heaven already we are just shortening the gap whether it's through the miraculous whether it's through wisdom you know whatever it is through and God is calling us to invade the mountains of this world you know what the mountains of this world are? Well, this is, this is a clever bit. Uh, can we have the, um, I don't know if it's two or three now. I've lost, well, let's just, do you want to take that one off? Just let's look at the mountain. That's the Matterhorn. So I Googled it, up it came. It's nice. Anybody climb the Matterhorn here? Right. Just point at that mountain and say, I am going to climb that mountain. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking. We can all do that. Do you want to do that? I am going to climb that mountain, metaphorically speaking. I am not, I'm not suggesting that, but if you want to be a mountain, if you, anybody want to climb mountains here? Literal, physical mountains, yeah. Okay, that's fine. Go for it. If you've got a dream, why don't you dream it? But we have been called to climb every mountain. Back in the 1970s, two well-known Christian leaders, maybe not so well-known today, Lauren Cunningham, of YWAM and Bill Bright of Campus Crusade both had the same vision of seven mountains and all that they were describing was the seven key areas of our society, our society anywhere, you know, in the world. Seven, and they described them as seven mountains, which is interesting, isn't it? We belong to a mountain that will outgrow every mountain. They were describing, God revealed to them a kind of vision Because God was saying to these organizations, YWAM and Campus Crusade for Christ, it was no longer good enough simply to be getting people saved and building churches. Good as that is, and the harvest is about that, but actually if it was only about that, we will never fulfill all God has for us. He has a greater work of which saving souls and building churches is just part, a glorious part, The church is glorious. It's the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ. 
We're not trying to dish the church at all. It's part of the kingdom. It is the kingdom community. But it's not the whole picture. The whole picture is that we've been called to climb every mountain. So we can we have the mountains up, Trish. So we've got the mountain of business, the mountain of education, the mountain of the church, the mountain of the family, the mountain of arts and media, the mountain of science and medicine. Now, and one more. There's one more. Oh, sorry, government. Thank you. <laughs> Can't count up to seven. Never mind. And... Uh, now, some people say government and politics, some people say in science and technology, there are different ways of describing it. And if there's not an area of society that you can't see, although don't worry about it, okay? We're trying to, you know, trying to cover everything. We've been called to invade all of those mountains. One of the prophetic words that brought us together as two churches seven years ago was, we've often referred to it as the reinforcements word. Dave Devonish, Stonely Bible Week, you know, those people in Gravesend call for reinforcements. It's not bad, is it? Every time I do it. And that's the bit that most people remember, at least, uh, you know, uh, because that's exactly what happened to us. We got reinforced by over 300 people at the time, all living around a little village called New Ash Green. <laughs> So the two churches came together, didn't they, to reinforce what God was doing. And I guess the other way around, I always think the the parallel prophetic word to that, it's the Joseph word that Julian had bought some years before that merger, hadn't he? About being a resourcing church. Boy, God is resourcing us, isn't he? He resources, He's resourcing us with people, with buildings. It's another Julian's prophecies about buildings, isn't it? Um, who would have guessed we'd have got a shop at the same time? In fact, we got a shop before we got the building. Well, the building was finished. But that reinforcements word goes on and says this. It says, and there will be a mountain in that multicultural city. There will be a mountain in that multicultural city. And you know, for years, I always thought that mountain meant a large, visible church. And we have become a large and are becoming a large visible church, both in terms of numbers and, of course, our building. Even my friend had said, oh, yeah, I've seen it. You know, driving down, uh, driving down Paint, you know, um, Pepper Hill. Yeah, you can just see it on the hill. It's so visible, isn't it? Everybody that comes down the A2 has seen it. That is hundreds of thousands of people. I try to see it to go the other way, but it's a bit dangerous. You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cut across, carve somebody up in the inside lane, because I'm always second or third or fourth lane. Anyway, and um, so I don't do that. It's, it's, it's much easier go coasting down just to, oh, uh, yeah. And, um, but we've been called to invade those, those mountains. And you can see each of you, I mean, how many people identify with at least one of those mountains? Because you work in them already. There's a few hands down. Anybody here not part of a family? <laughs> the family is a huge mountain in our society, isn't it? It's a huge thing to invade and to, to, to minister into. You know, we're getting good in the church at being, uh, you know, uh, we, we have good families. We know how to do family. We know how to do family as a, as a community. 
But there are people out there have got no idea how to do the basic, what you call the nuclear family, although that's not necessarily the, the basic family. That's a bit of a Western European concept, isn't it? You know, there's a broader family. We've, but in Western society, we've kind of lost, kind of reduced the family really to the nuclear family, mum and dad and you know, kids. But it's much broader than that. Certainly the biblical family is, big, uh, is broader than that in terms of its, its size isn't it, and its reach. Arts and media, science and medicine, government, business, education, church, folks, they are all there to be invaded. And the prophetic word that we need to get hold of this morning is actually we belong to a mountain that outgrows all the other mountains. Shall we pray? Let me, actually, let me just read you. Um, let me just end with Dr. Henry Kissinger. Dr. Henry Kissinger opens the first paragraph of his best-selling book on diplomacy in the most interesting language. In describing the flow of history, he leads into the emergence of the United States in its role over the last hundred years. Almost as if, according to some natural law, in every century, there seems to emerge a country with the power, the will, and the intellect and moral impetus power, will, intellect and moral impetus to shape the entire international system in accordance with its own values. A secular historian like Kissinger cannot see the invisible cosmic struggle of principalities and powers that worked through demonized world leaders like Hitler, Stalin or Mao. But he can see the aftermath in the formation of nations as the spoils of war, of wars and upheavals. He is most certainly not trying to describe the role of the church, but I think he defined a valid pattern in history that is setting things out for our role in this pivotal hour. As if according to some natural law, in every century there seems to emerge a country with the power, the moral impetus to shape the entire international system. I believe that we are now that nation that seeks to emerge, the holy nation of Jesus' followers, the church, we have been given heavenly authority and power in this final hour to impact the earth with our king's values, the message of the kingdom. Amen. Put your hand on your heart. Say, Father, thank you for the kingdom of God. Thank you that it is the mountain that outgrows all mountains. You are the rock of my salvation. You are the mountain of the kingdom. Lord, enable us to invade every mountain. To bring kingdom values wherever we are. With power and authority. With wisdom and discernment. With love, mercy and grace. We receive that all now in Jesus' name. Let's take them. Let's climb every mountain. (laughs) Amen.